thank you for joining us, everybody. We are going to do a round on the Hamptons. Um, this is just going to get right to the point. We want to talk about what's going on out there, um, doing business out there, um, all, all the things that you guys ask questions on. We got a lot of questions, so we're going to try to squeeze all of that in. Um, John, I guess you'll take a look at the Q&A afterwards. If you guys have questions during, we'll take a look and see if we could sneak those in at the end for you. But in the meantime, let me tell you who we got. Uh, you know me, I'm Noah Rosenblatt. That's my partner, John Walker from Urban Digs. Um, but on the panel today, we got James Keough of the Atlantic team over at Elliman. Uh, we got Cindy Schultz over at Compass. And we have Lisa Masonette over at Sotheby's International Realty and Daniel Gay, Sotheby's International Realty. Thank you all for joining us. I'm going to get right to it, John. So James, you're on the clock. Okay. We're going to start with you. Let's start out high level. What's going on with inventory before we get to pricing? What's going on with inventory? What's going on with deal volume? Give me a sense of real time stuff. Kind of where were we and where are we now? Yeah, right. Well, inventory, <clears throat> I've been out here my whole life and real estate 16 years. Inventory is by far at an all time low um, for rentals and for sales. Um, demand, I would say is possibly coming off a frothy peak um, a couple months ago, but very lightly to the point where maybe the bidding wars are less cash and more financing, but still two or three, often five deep on a bid um, on each property. Um, so inventory, generally, if price to perfection is gone in a week or days, uh, if it's a little over, it could take a little longer, but there's record prices happening every which way at every price point as well. Um, yeah, so, you know, if you get a listing, um, it's like gold right now, and it is gone very quickly. Is there a shortage right now? Sorry, John. Yeah, there is. There's a major shortage, I'd say, most noticeably first with the rentals, um, especially the high end. Uh, anything over 225000 was pretty much gone by, by February, March, um, having a really hard time with 500000 750s. Um, the sales inventory, I would say, is, is all getting bought up, but really the lower the price point still seems to be the strongest. Um, anything under a million gone very quickly with all parties involved, whether it's locals or second homeowners. Um, and then as you get to the higher end, still just red hot um, and a lack of inventory across the board. Yep. I was just going to ask Cindy if that's what you're seeing as well uh, from your point of view. Yeah, I totally echo everything that James just said. And I think that the inventory that's coming on is not always meeting the, the demand. And if something is, is great, priced well, or, or beautifully designed, even if it's priced ambitiously, it will usually go into contract with, within a week to, to 10 days. Um, you know, what we are seeing, I think, is money flowing to value. Just because someone lists their home doesn't necessarily mean it's going to like trade an astronomical price. I think buyers are getting like a little bit more, more savvy and, and they've got some patience. They're like, okay, we'll, we'll wait for, for the right thing to come on. But what is so interesting is that buyers never waver from the Hamptons. They never say, okay, I'm so frustrated by this market. I'm going to go upstate. And I think that that's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, you know, and in terms of inventory, according to, um, Hamptons market data run by Adriana Nava, as of May 1st, there were 700 listings for sale from Southampton to Montauk. I know there's a lot of city brokers on this call. So just think of how insane that is. 700 homes for sale in, in total. So that is to James's point, like record low inventory. Um, our, the way that like we're, we're reacting to that is, you know, 
realizing this is the data, this is the reality. Like our whole summer needs to be business development, doing like really, you know, amazing events and, and um, you know, things to keep our clients engaged so that maybe they'll hang on to the fall where more inventory will come available and keep reminding them why they need to have patience in this market and um, the, the grit to kind of land a home. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that, the mindset of buyers. You know, are they are they frustrated right now? I mean, I, you say it, it sounds almost like Manhattan was in 2013, 14, 15. Like we just had yeah. no inventory. Back then. It, was, it was not easy for buyer brokers to make to do business out there. Uh, yeah, it's not easy. Like, you know, like James said, if, if you have like a listing, that's gold. It, it will trade. It's, it's amazing. Um, with buyers, you've got to have a lot of empathy and, and patience for them right now. They've just, they don't understand that they can't buy what, what they want. And, um, you know, but they also aren't going to wildly overpay. I think the price point of 2 million and below is almost predatory in some areas with like people outbidding the comps don't make any, any sort of sense at the higher price points. People are a little bit like less reluctant to do something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think the whole point of the Hamptons is people want to feel included. They want to be in a beautiful place. They want to be near their friends and stuff like that. So our focus this year is to do a lot of partnerships and, and activations to keep our buyers happy. That's interesting. And, and, you know, Cindy, you mentioned comps and Lisa, I'd like you to bring in, bring you in here and to talk about sort of, you know, how you're looking at price trends and comps in uh, this kind of market. So I'm actually doing uh, a, a, a different price range uh, because you know I've been in the city for so many years and uh, when the COVID hit well I all my my Manhattan people started calling me because they knew I was out there for 25 years anyway um, they they're a different buyer uh, I've been working mostly two and a half to three and a half million dollar sweet spot and they're very educated, they're very savvy, and they're very aggressive. So they get what they want, and they, they want what they want. <laughs> um, but because of that, I, uh, you know, we, we have to qualify them better. We have to make sure. So when I, I started really ramping up in the Hamptons, I made sure I had a team. I had my mortgage broker, I had my attorney, I had all the people I needed. So the minute that somebody, you know, crossed my path, I was able to get them situated. So I knew that, you know, they were ready to go because, you know. So Lisa, uh, let, me just, let me just ask you about pricing though. In terms of pricing trends and where that's going, how are you telling me, where are pricing trends right now versus say a year ago? Did, 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 did the Hamptons market have a COVID discount or no? No, in fact, uh, the opposite. And I think that because of the low inventory that James and Cindy were talking about and the low interest rates, yes, some are all cash deals. They're doing inspections, but it's as is, you know, um, and, and uh, some of them are going for financing because the money is so cheap, but some of them are just paying the all cash because they want that and they know that if they go that route, they mm -hmm. will get that house. And part you know, of what you're like in the city, you can't just, you know, a house is a house. It's more or less, you know. And that predatory um, kind of price point, like the two to three and a half, really is driving the comps higher and higher. I mean, there was times after last March where the comps weren't caught up to the sales prices and it was, it was slowing things down a little with the banks, but 
really now that gap up that happened last March was easily 20 to 25% on almost wow. all price points. And um, that has now come through the comps and it's helping pricing kind of keep going up and sellers are being more demanding about what price they're dictating. And a lot of brokers, quite frankly, take it and see what happens in this market. So that is causing a little bit of a slowdown and maybe a little bit of a build in inventory. I'm not seeing a lot of it. Um, what I like to think might bring some inventory to us is um, the capital gains changes that are coming down the pipeline um, and possibly repositioning of families with schools again in September. So we also have a 1031 thing going on that, yeah, that we don't a lot of know. That, yeah. No one's talking about that, you know. John, yeah. go ahead. No, I was gonna, if I could just shift James, because I think you brought something great, which is which is that you have this sort of, um, the, the gap was sort of, you know, the last March, the sort of shift up sort of brought the comps in line. And, you know, one of the things that we see sort of, you know, especially in Manhattan is like, you know, once you have that solid run behind you of, of improving comps, you start getting the new developments hitting the ground. And I'm just curious if we could, you know, shift briefly to the new development space out there. Um, what's happening? Are there, are there more units in the pipeline now? In turn, are there any concessions, anything like that, that are comparable to what you would expect in Manhattan, for example? Uh, probably, again, back to your Manhattan market of 13 and 14. Um, we're just seeing, you know, and I've never experienced this. I'm, we're putting pre-construction packages mm -hmm. on lots that have nothing built that are selling over asking price. Um, so, you know, generally things that, you know, we couldn't sell two years ago are now 25 to 30% higher and they're not built yet. Um, so really there's almost zero uh, new construction inventory that I know of, um, wow. especially under call it 5 million. Um, there's a few more people are coming in potentially, you know, to do one or two projects, but there's never really been multiple ferals out here and multiple big developers out here. So um, there's a lack of land and um, the Peconic Land Trust is a big thing that everybody pays a tax on out here and it's scooping up land left and right. So, you know, it's, it's um, the land is, is definitely hard to come by good lots in prime locations. Teardowns are coming, coming back into, into the mix and, uh, New construction, yeah. If you have the means and the uh, you know the, the will to to get get going on something, now's now's a great time because there's high hey, James, demand for it. Is there do, do you have any way to look at the pipeline going forward? I mean, is there any kind of relief looking ahead in the next couple? Because I know that this is like one of those Titanic type things. Like you don't just turn this thing in six months. Like you can see we're not going to have inventory for years, kind of thing. Is that what's going on there? Uh. Yes and no. You see a lot of renovations. Like, you know, there's more work going on out here than ever. And every contract is busy and everybody's, you know, can't stop working. So you, there's always that flow of remodeling, um, mm -hmm. you know, second homes that are very high end and very beautiful, just like new. I think that fills in a lot of that gap. Um, but there is certainly a lack of new construction. I've seen a few big lots of land that haven't been on ever before, you know, eight development, ho housing developments, nine, you know, houses, but there's never really those, those 10 or 20s around. You, you see maybe six new houses pop up together. Um, so it's very, it's going to be very limited on the new construction for a long time, in my opinion. That's interesting. And well, let me follow up on that with you, Cindy. Um, and that's that, you know, you look at some of these ferals and some of these builders and, they, and these are, these are large homes for people to entertain in, in some cases. I'm not sure what the, what the sweet spot is and how big they are. But I'm just curious, you know, when you're talking to your buyers out there, are they looking, is this a secondary home market now or has the Hamptons become sort of almost a primary home where you, you, you are also have a foot in the city kind of thing? Yeah, you know, um, 
I've thought about that that question uh, a lot. Um, I think for select few that can make it their primary home, um, yeah, it's an amazing place to have a primary home. But you know, I work with a lot of my peers, and people don't get promoted on Zoom. You know, like if you want to get a promotion and you want to be in the action, a lot of times you have to be in the office, which is in the city. Uh, your kids are going to school Monday through Friday in the city. Just even the way that the Hamptons is set up, I don't think it was ever set up to be another Westchester. And people who buy out there do not want it to be another Westchester, right? There's one road, there's septic tanks, there's, you know, just limited supply of vendors out there. It's possible to get, you know, an electrician over to your house, even same, same week. So I think um, a lot of people want to romanticize the idea of being out in, in the Hamptons, but it's just not feasible for, for most people, I think. You think that's, a, and, and I can ask you this as well, Lisa, do you think that's a, a temporary thing? I mean, it sounds like if there is this, you know, as, as James was saying, there's a lot of renovations happening. It sounds like that's going to attract a lot of uh, folks in there, a lot of money in there. And that's the kind of thing that sort of starts building on its own. And I'm wondering, Cindy, if you're seeing that, or, and Lisa, if you're seeing that as well. Um, I think I think there is also an age group uh, that uh, is migrating to the Hamptons and is staying longer term. Um, I never saw that before, but I would say if out of a hundred people, I'm seeing at least half of them are staying out there. And I've seen that in all areas, in areas that you would never have seen that before. I think that uh, if you had big places in the city or small places in the city, it's no longer feeling all that great or attractive. I can tell you the last five deals they've left the city and then not coming back. Um, but then again, I have new people coming into the city. The thing is, there's change, there's change happening. Mm -hmm. Change is yeah. happening to everyone. And, and people are going after what they want, you know? And yeah, you can go into the office and you can work remotely and you can do a combination of both. And that's the new world now. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, Lisa, this, the work from home, I think I was going to say the work from home has to be a big driver of that whole thing. A hundred percent. I've talked to CEOs in the city here. My whole office, I'm in the city today. There used to be 500 people here. Maybe there's 15, you know. Right. Um, so absolutely some people are coming back. I say less people uh, that left uh, coming back, but then there's a, a, an influx of kind of new people that are coming into the city. Yeah. But and that's, that's I, I definitely have seen people stay out there that I would never have thought would stay out there in a million years. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, go ahead, James. Jump in. One thing I compared to having been here a long, long time was um, the reaction you got from 9-11 in, in a much greater way. And that's really, back in 2001, you really could not work from home. A couple of hedge funds could manage to pull it off. Now with Zoom and everything else, it's really everybody has given gotten given that opportunity. Um, and I think until the corporations are calling everybody back in, uh, it becomes more important for a lot of these, as Lisa mentioned, the category of buyers are really generally young families looking for more space and getting their kids, you know, outdoors or some extra rooms or a home office for some peace and quiet. Um, you know, so all those things are playing in and uh, 
until I think, um, I think, you know, the school and the space and being out in nature, and there's a real incentive to go back to Manhattan for the entertainment value and all the things people love Manhattan for. Um, But maybe family's coming first right now. And, and, you know, let's stay where we're comfortable and, and change again when, when, when we need to. Yeah, it's still we're still in it kind of thing. We're still in it. Yeah. It hasn't really gone full circle. As Lisa said, there's only 15 people in our office. It's down 80 percent. Hey, James, I want to stick with you for one more second. Um, you you got a lot of bidding wars going on for properties out there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I tell me how you handle under two million is a bidding war. How are you? How are you logistically handling that? Yeah. So we we recognized this really early on, like you know we were on lockdown in March. You, you couldn't go out and show a house. You have to do videos. Um, but we really were able to funnel the buyers in a way that, I mean, it's so predatory and so competitive that we were trying to almost protect ourselves as brokers from things down the line going wrong. You know, like if we had our own buyer on our own listing and we're not taking, so generally to get to the long story short, we're taking all these aggressive, um, bids and we're funneling them always to a, a good attorney who's taking sealed bids by a certain time and uh, allowing the seller and that attorney to review them and pick uh, number one position and number two position and try and execute that deal within a week or so. And those attorneys are talking to the seller? They take all the email bids in uh, and then they'll speak to the seller and review them with them, kind of leaving me and my team out of it in case we have a buyer involved in there. Um, (laughs) I got to tell you, man, you know, back when I was transacting, handling those bidding war scenarios were, I didn't, I, I was mostly on the buy side of them, but yeah. they were never fun. I no, mean, I guess if fun. And, and, and buyers get angry and they don't understand a lot of scenarios and um, it's best to, I feel just to have it all laid out one time and, and let the seller make the, the final decision. Yeah, true. Um, that's interesting stuff. And especially, you know, when it, when it comes down to the idea of, of, you know, finding something that has value. And if I could shift to that for a little bit and, and ask you, Lisa, um, are there value plays uh, out there right now? Is there anything with, you know, quote unquote investment potential? I know that for a long time, the highway was been, has been seen as a dividing line with you, know, you get a little bit more for your money north of the highway. And I guess maybe that's the question is, you know, are there places where you can get more for your money uh, out there these days? Well, uh, I still believe in buying in prime locations, right? So I, I do know that you can go to other parts of the Hamptons and, you know, get kind of a good deal, but I always say, you know, uh, I want to park my money in something in case, you know, the market turns or something that it still holds its value, so to speak. So I think it's smarter to buy a small house that you can build on, build up, build out, renovate, you know, something like that, because that's, that's, that's going to sell, you know, prime locations is still going to sell. And if you do it smart, quick, and you you know do it right, uh, I think that's where where the value plays. But that again is for a different buyer, right? That's not for somebody who wants it now, right. you know, and wants right. it done, and you know all that. This is this is, and there are different types of investment buyers out there. There are, there are the ones that you know buy the land and then build a house. Um, so, but but I think that. Um, it would be more that the product than the area per se for me. That's what I would be telling my clients. Now, James and Cindy might have a different viewpoint. 
they might, you know, I think James at one point said, maybe go north of the highway or something like that. But, but for me, that's what I would feel comfortable with. Well, let me, let me just follow up on that. And, and this is sort of an open question, which is that, you know, when you look at, and I'm going to take that Manhattan viewpoint again, when you look at, say, co-ops in the city, and if you're buying an unrenovated co-op because you're getting a great deal because co-ops are normally lower and you got to do some renovation work yourself, you know, used to be looking at sort of a, like a one-year minimum sort of on turnaround time. Uh, now that's even longer with a lot of the COVID restrictions in buildings. So you're looking at a year and a half, maybe two years before you're finally in that place and the whole time you're carrying it. What's the timeline look like out there if you're, if you're doing any kind of renovation or you're adding a pool or, or anything like that? Or are the timelines now like, what's the lead time for something like that? Do you want me to answer or you want, oh, is that question for Cindy? It's, it's really, it's just an open question. I just kind of thought of it. So I'm just curious, you know, what you guys are seeing. I mean, I imagine everyone's going to have some different, different inputs. Let's go Cindy and then let's go Lisa. You know, um, the the timeline to get everything done, you know, you need, you need to get approvals. Everything needs to be to code. There's only so many vendors that, that are out there. So it's a much longer lead time uh, across the board. But to even touch a little bit on value, like, yes, if, if you buy something at a certain price and you renovate it, you put, you know, cash into it, you're most likely going to sell it for a higher price. When I talk to a lot of my clients and have pretty heavy backgrounds in, in finance, I don't even flirt with conversation over like investment because they would kind of laugh at me. I think that buying in New York City and buying in Hamptons is very much an emotional commodity. You want to be there. Like, you know, it's, it's a nice parking spot for money. And when I say this to clients, you know, hopefully you'll see a return. Like if you don't want to use your house all summer and you want to rent it out, okay, you'll see a return. There's a lot of costs associated with owning a house. When we talk about investing, there's a lot of areas outside of New York that I think will kick off better returns. When I say better returns, like eight to 10% like returns. Um, so, you know, the spreadsheet that I like to call that, that are like writing money out in the Hamptons. And I just, you know, I think it's much more of an emotional commodity than an investment play. Yeah, no, I, and, and I just wanted to add in one thing here. Um, you know, when you talk about renovation, you know, guys, we're in a weird time right now. Basic materials are very expensive, yeah. lumber, is very expensive. Um, drywall, she, all, all this stuff is very expensive. People are getting more expensive. Have you guys noticed this? Like people don't want to work. Like it's, 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 there's, there's almost like it's a wage inflation brewing right here. I mean, I wonder what a full renovation costs right now versus even like 13, 14 months ago before this whole thing started. Um, it's just another element to the equation. Um, but I mean, Lisa, I want to give you a chance to speak real here on that question. Um, I agree with everything that's been said. Yes, everything is more expensive. Yes, it's going to take longer. Yes, 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 yes. However, if you've done it long enough and you have your team and your crew and they can execute, honestly, we're doing, uh, we're doing it in both places, New York and the Hamptons right now. And I, I don't know, I guess I've been lucky or whatever. Yes, it's, it's still going to, you know, I mean, to get a surveyor, forget it, you could die, your hair is going to grow gray, but, um, you know, you it's, it's like, it's real estate. It's like, you got to push through things, you know, it's, you make it happen, you know, it's, it's kind of going to take a little longer, but, you know, yeah. it is what it is, you know, maybe the prices will go up by the time you're, you're finished renovating, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I kind of agree with you because there's, there's, there's everything else is so frothy. 
that the only things that are not being bid up are those places that that you're describing right now that need a build out or need an expansion because it's not big enough yet. So let me just, if I could just jump in because I just thought of something that, you know, it, one of the questions, you know, when, when, when we used to transact, one, some of the things that we used to know just off the top of our head is like, what is a typical renovation cost? How long is it going to take? What is the kitchen cost? What's a bathroom cost? These kind of things. And I'm curious, if you're doing business in the Hamptons, what do these figures look like in your head? If someone says, wow, I want to add a pool, do you have a rough range for what a pool costs or a tennis court? And, you know, apologies, these are very summer-oriented things. If someone wants to say winterize the house, I suppose that might be a cost too. But I'm just curious, what are some of the main sort of cost items that you sort of have to have a handle on on a day-to-day basis for, for doing business out there? A pool, a tennis court, you know. Um, yeah, necessities in life. <laughs> yeah. James, James, go ahead. I think a great value add, like example, would be if you were to search the Hamptons with houses with no pools, they go under the radar. Almost nobody looks for a house with no pool. And you find a good one, you you may stick a pool in there and make money on it, Um, along with some of these other kitchen and bathroom remodels. Um, To the value play, what I like about the Hamptons um, is if you look at a 20-year chart of the Hamptons real estate market, you're going to see maybe one blip in, in the 20 years. You know, it's very steadily up apart from, you know, our, our great economic crash, um, which it still stayed pretty steady out here. So you are very insulated because sellers don't have to sell in down markets and they can rent. Um, so you do have that optionality. Um, so I like it from an investment standpoint in that from March, I've thought of Hamptons real estate as um the perfect COVID stock, you know, people were talking about Zoom and, and uh, DocuSign and all these others, but the Hamptons was the perfect COVID stock. I mean, Wall Street's at an all-time high, interest rates at an all-time low, and people want space, privacy, and to get out of, you know, major cities. So the drivers were all in place for the last year, and, and many of them aren't disappearing yet. So uh, to me, you know, until something breaks, um, this is this is a great place to invest. And I think the fat, the more connected you are, the more you can turn something over quickly. Um, obviously, the safer your investment is going to be. I'd like to see somebody flip a house in a year and not two years, but um, definitely uh, way more demand than supply. So I don't see why I wouldn't get in and start renovating right now. I, I sold my house and bought a new house this year as well. So yeah, and, and I, I like. Uh, sorry, just any figures on like what the, you know, the in-ground pool costs? Out of, well, I did out a gun eye pool. Um, about three years ago on my house and I bought a house with no pool, put one in and did the yard and everything. Um, it's, I would say a gun, I, you should estimate 75 to hundred, um, mm-hmm. with, you know, fencing and patio and stuff like that. And Could is that go a, much higher if you want. Is that, you know, and is that something that like, you know, hits your taxes immediately or just out of curiosity? Uh, no, it takes a long time actually to come through out here. You do the building permits. It's, it's not a lot on your taxes, maybe a big patio and stuff, but it doesn't add a ton. Um, a, a vinyl pool can be done much less than 50. Um, and then kitchens, kitchens and bathrooms, I probably wouldn't want to jump out right now because the costs have just skyrocketed. Um, right. But you know, it all depends on size, master bathroom, you know, I used to say 20 to 30,000 a bathroom and 60 to 150 for a kitchen, but th- those numbers are probably much higher at this point. Right. I think people right. are also converting their uh, garages and pool houses into uh, working home offices, you know, cool. so like, yeah. They're getting away, but then, but they're still home. Yeah. I, um, love and- I love it. I converted my garage into a, into my kitchen. I, I was the best move I ever made, and I use it every single day now. Um, mm-hmm. Cindy, Cindy, hot topic, Cindy. We're gonna get to wait, wait, what? Let's, let's we're gonna battle a little bit. Um, I have a client 
in Manhattan, who is also looking in the Hamptons. Okay, this is not as easy as it sounds, right? Mm -hmm. You would think this is a simple thing. Tell mm -hmm. me what's going on here. Well, like, well, talk to me about that. It's been a very hot topic um, among agents and stuff like that. And, you know, I transitioned to start working out, out here from, from the city right after Labor Day. And I will say, I am incredibly humbled by like how much like in-depth knowledge is required to, to trade on a house. You know, when people get inspection reports, even if they have an engineer, it doesn't show up everything that that's wrong with, with the house. Like transacting in the city is 100 times easier than working in the Hamptons. You know, you have a managing agent who has no agency to anyone. They'll answer your questions for you. They say, this is the reserve fund. We're going to need a new roof in like three years, all of these sorts of things. And um, so, you know, I, I think that um, brokers in, in the city, including myself, got, got very scared when like your business just kind of like came, came to a halt. But the best way to serve your clients is to have, you know, somebody local in, in each area who, who has like a good team. And um, what I love about this past year is I think it's brought like a really wonderful entrepreneurial spirit among a lot of agents. And because we're all connecting through Zoom and stuff like that, people say, wow, this team is doing this. Why don't I expand my team? Why don't I find some great partners to have so we can you know, serve our clients in both areas? Because to your point, I think the clients that you have in the city and the clients you have in the Hamptons, they wanna work with the same team because you have trust. And the number one thing to facilitate a transaction is trust. Right. Lisa, I mean, you work in both markets. Are, 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 are they equally complex? Are there any similarities? What's going on? I'd say they, I say they are, you know, both complex. I mean, obviously I know the city uh, uh, had, a, you know, the buildings and all that. But again, I, I knew that I didn't, uh, that I was going to run up against things that I did not know, engineers and inspections. And, oh my gosh, how many uh, basements are, don't have proper CFOs? And right. that was a huge thing, especially if my guy wants to rent the house after he buys it, right? And right. then how about all the towns and all the hamlets and everything else that, you know, you go from West Hampton to East Hampton, totally different rules when it comes to renting, you know? Right. Um, so because I knew that, I, I you know, I have a great team. I have a great uh, people that I affiliated myself, and the, I and I and I ask, huh? Is that the key? The team? You have a team? What do you mean? Like you have contractors? You have attorneys? You have lenders? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Because there is no way I'm going to to know all that, and and be brought up to speed the way I needed to be to make all those deals that you know. Luckily, we we did really well in the Hamptons, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, and I couldn't do that to my customers. I mean, you right. know, I I I don't know every, every I don't know uh, zonings and surveys and and you know and, and I needed attorneys who can act quickly. Yeah. Well, speak, so, speaking of you know speaking of you know, the challenges of doing business out there, James, if I could shift to you, which is like you know when you're talking about what are some of the challenges, but specifically how are your buyers looking at this? What are some of their objections to you know participating in this market? I know they want to, but there are never things stopping it. I'm just curious, are there any? And uh, if so, how are you, uh, how are you handling those? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, just to touch on the differences in the markets, I would say one, one thing is that 
you know, the degree of professionality you get in Manhattan is, is just a bar above what you get in the Hamptons. So you really have to find your personal professional connections that you can rely on. And I think that's what Lisa's talking that's about a lot saying, because yeah. there's just not the quality of attorneys. There's not the quality of agents. There's not the quality of everything across the board. You know, you have to know your people and your team and and that's what's going to get a buyer who is really in a competitive situation in the house um, in, a, in a quick way. And a lot of times that's more than anything, the attorney turning around the contract, you know, getting through some of these CO issues that come up that they have no idea about. Um, a big one that, you know, most people don't know. And it's one of the first things I bring up at every property is you can't clear every tree on your property out here. So you can only clear half your lot in a lot of areas. So you know, you may buy a property with a huge green lawn that's completely illegal. And um, if you don't have the right teams in place, these buyers are going to end up with a huge headache down the road. Um, you know, one of my top pieces of advice to any buyer is use a local attorney um, because they know the code. And, you know, I may not know every code, but they will and we'll get you covered on the back end. So I think that's really important. Um, buyer objections lately have been probably just frustrations coming from buyers in terms of why do I have to bid against myself? You know, a seller might not move off his asking price, even though he only has one bid and they'll say, well, I'm not bidding against myself. And I said, well, you, you are right now, but you won't be tomorrow. So you better come up. You know, it's a, uh, it's, it's such a quick market that they don't understand, you know, that they need to really act as fast as they can. They can't negotiate over three days anymore or over a week because mm -hmm. you're just putting risk on your table and, and you're more likely to lose out at that point. So, um, I, you know, I like in this market, you know, both houses I've bought out here, I was very quick to just sign the contract and do no inspection. You know, it's um, sometimes these minor problems are really not enough. If you're getting a deal, you should sign um, and not do all this nitpicky stuff. And it's becoming a little hard because the sellers have all the power and, one major obstacle that I used to try and avoid at all costs, but is unavoidable now is including furniture in, in deals for this summer. Um, mm, the logistics, the bottleneck of furniture and supply, you know, almost every deal that's happened for the last month is including some kind of couch or bed or some, something else. And yeah, that makes it even more complicated. So it just, it's wow. endless wow. The way we've had to adjust to the way deals have flipped from say two years ago. So, I mean, just watching, the reaction of all the other panelists here when you say that is just, I mean, because you all see your own, I, you know, the, the data that John and I look at is all the aggregate full data all coming up, but you guys have your own world, you know, and they're all separate. And what you see might be a little different. Um, so it's interesting to see the consensus over there. Yeah, I, I, I have a $4 million deal waiting on one couch right now, so. Oh my God. I mean, that, 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 if I were you, I would just buy that couch and just personally bring <laughs> it in that yeah. place. Yeah, um, I'll buy two couches for that deal. Yeah. <laughs> Cindy, uh, this is for everyone. I want to start with Cindy. All right, um, where are we headed from here, price-wise? Okay, now I know we don't have any crystal balls, but we have uh, an intelligent crew here. So I just want to thank we. we James said we pushed a, a big surge since March, so we had a big melt-up kind of thing, a big yeah. push-up. Where do we go from here? Yeah, well, I think that the Hamptons market was um, depressed for, for a while before COVID came about. So we're not going to go back to these like pre pre COVID um, prices. And we're also, you know, everyone keeps talking about families that are buying homes, but we overlook like this large um, population that's got a lot of spending power. 
high net worth millennials. They could be single. They don't have to have a family or a traditional family or, or a kid or something like that. And they're like, listen, I want to entertain. I want to have a house out there. I, I definitely like want to, you know, not have PTSD of not being able to find a rental or something like that. So, you know, I think we're all saying the same thing. This increased demand is going to continue keeping prices um, pretty steady, if not, you know, maybe even a, a little bit higher for some of the premier product. Um, and I think the only time that we're actually going to see like prices maybe start to like stay level or possibly cool off a little bit if there's like uh, an actual jump in, in interest rates, which, which will come eventually. And all, all markets are, are prone to cycles, can't just keep, keep going up. We're going to have a pretty strong rest of the year, at least. Cool. Hey, Lisa, you want to say anything or James? Sure. Um, I've, I've been in every market. I've seen things go down. So what I'm thinking is if I look at right now, right now, interest rates are low. Right now, inventory is super low. And right now, the desire to own um, is own real estate. And, and I just think real estate in general is, is, you know, the new desired commodity. Um, so I think we're going to be steady for, for quite a while. The only little thing that nags me, and I'm not sure how it, it's going to affect, is capital gains, corporate taxes, uh, you know, all this tax situation just really gets me to point, like, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. so, but aside from that, uh, I just, you know, people are in love with real estate. Everybody. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, though. I'm glad you mentioned it. James, you want to, you want to give some yeah, I agree with everything they're saying. I would just add that um, <clears throat> in, in 16 years of doing this, I haven't seen uh, very many, if any, summers that both the rental market and the sales market went up. Um, and that happened both last summer and it's happening this summer. Um, usually they're pretty inverse. So I would expect, hmm. expect to maybe see some kind of divergence on that by next summer. Mm -hmm. But I think in the short term, uh, we're looking really good and really strong um, beyond the lack of inventory. Once John, can I add one thing before you, before you go on to the next question? Lisa, I thought that was really ta taxes um, and policies and all that stuff is very important. I also, my, one worry I just want to say is, 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 is the stock market. I hope I'm wrong, but I mean, if we do have a rollover, it could change sentiment a little bit. And quite frankly, I think that'll be very healthy if things just cool off a little bit for longer term, because Lisa, I, I, I John and I are pounding the table. I think New York City real estate, Hamptons real estate, and in general, five to seven years. I think there's a huge play here. There's a long runway here, inflation hedge. And I think a lot of buyers are not thinking that way. And I think that's what it's going to be. So, John. Well, you know, one thing we haven't talked, and James, you brought this up, but one thing we haven't really talked about at all is the rental market. And I'd like to get to that. Uh, but I'd just like to take a brief time out. We do have a Q&A and I invite all the audience members to contribute to that. Um, and I'll just read a couple of questions we got here. Um, thoughts on Hampton Bays. And I think we didn't really kind of define what we mean by the Hamptons. So if we could start out talking like James, Cindy, Lisa, how do you guys define the Hamptons? Where does it start for you? Uh, clearly we know where it ends. It just sort of hits the water. So that's, that's easy. But in terms of, you know, where's the beginning? Where do you, where do you see a beginning? Uh, general thoughts on Hampton Bays uh, and some of the, uh, the areas typically not associated with the, you know, like quote unquote blue chip area of the Hamptons. Um, yeah. I'll let them answer first, okay. and I have a so definite thought on it, though. Like, we try to cover West Hampton and Montauk for the most part. Okay. Uh, West Hampton and Hampton Bays. Um, 
I think are probably more of that value play category. Uh, the price points are lower, the rentals are lower, but you still have a lot of the great benefits of all the Hamptons. So, um, and you're very close to Southampton and everything else. Uh, the big difference, you know, it, on a logistics standpoint is you cross a bridge to get to the ocean, um, you know, is a little bit more of that barrier island feel. Right. The rest of Long Island has, and I think maybe that's been the major differentiator over time, just from a geographical standpoint. Right. Cindy, any thoughts on the beginning? I'm not as well versed on, on Hampton Bays. Uh, we primarily focus like from Southampton to Montauk, so I'll defer to Lisa on this. Okay. All right, Lisa, I know you had some thoughts. Yeah. Um, again, while I don't really focus my sales, I have lived in Hampton Bays. And it's called Hampton Bays for a reason. You know, there's bays and water everywhere. And there's so much building going on there right now. Um, hotels and, 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 and wedding uh, places. And um, it's, it's, it's had a big, it, there's value play there. There's value play there for the person who- uh, Priced. Yeah. Um, and like you, like Lisa said, you're, you're actually, access to the North Fork is really good, which people love and yeah. Riverheads, you know, got more every day. Um, the rentals are still good. It's still a great escape from Nassau and, and Manhattan. So, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a really good play um, for certain people that aren't necessarily hung up on you know the classic Hampton feel. Right. Interesting. Uh, one more question we've got here is um, regarding permits. You know, regarding permit requirements for the village and town to lease a house in the Hamptons. Uh, I have noticed that in MLS there are a lot of listings that don't have permits. Is that normal or is this just not really enforced? Uh, James, you want to, you any thoughts on that? Different. So as of right now, this is all driven by Airbnb, really. Uh, okay. A lot of the rental registries are about two or three years old now. East Hampton has a rental registry. South Hampton has a rental registry that covers all the hamlets, basically, from Hampton Bays to, to Montauk. Um, the villages are excluded. So you may be looking at East Hampton Village listing or South Hampton Village listings. They don't have to get a rental registry number. Um, they're different. They're, they're their own incorporated villages. Um, beyond that, the rental registry is, is really just meant to protect the homeowner from somebody going out and Airbnb and after they've rented it. So we had that for a few for, for a couple of seasons years ago. Somebody would rent a house for 30,000 and then put it up weekly and make 60 on it without the owner knowing. So it's, it's more of a protection on the marketing side to get those rental registry numbers. Um, they're not heavily enforced. There's really not much enforcement and uh, the fines are minimal. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's more there to, to hang over people than really a regulated thing at the moment. Gotcha. All right, good stuff. Listen, we're, we're, we're winding down here. I mean, um, it, it, this has been really, really, really good stuff um, covering a wide range of topics here. Thank you. Hopefully the people listening um, got some nuggets here. I have a final question. I'm going to throw it out to all of you. Okay, so Cindy, we're going to start with you. I'm going to go to Cindy, Lisa, and then James will end with you. Um, and the question is, is there one thing that you've learned from your experience that you can help on the buy side? Any of these agents that are working with a Hampton seller or a Hampton's buyer, and they're not as experienced as you guys, is there one tip you could tell them when working with a Hamptons buyer and when working with a Hampton seller? One tip on each side. Cindy. 
Yeah, I think that um, it's very important for buyers to understand that there are a lot more costs associated to with owning a home than just your mortgage and your taxes. Like, you know, the taxes are incredibly low, but the cost of carrying houses out there, given the, the elements and, and stuff like that and the proximity to the water are, are quite high. So they should just be very, very mindful of that and how that fits into their overall portfolio. Um, and I think with, with sellers, even though this is a really hot market, right now you've also got to be really thoughtful about that and say like how long can i hold this house if i really need to it's not as liquid of of an asset as, as they may think it is in such a hot market so cool lisa so if i were going to tell an agent um especially in this market i i, I you have to you know vet everyone you have to you know make sure the seller both sellers really want to sell uh, both buyers really are uh, qualified, ready, willing, and able to buy. You don't want to spin your wheels. You, you want to focus on the people that need your help. And then you need to be prepared, process everything, you know, or whatever, make sure you have your comps, your buyer packets, you know, all of your closing costs so that you can educate the buyer. And by, you know, avoid a lot of, a lot of mistakes. Yeah, headaches down the road. Yeah, get it out in front headaches. before it comes out later. James, finally, one buyer, one seller tip. Yeah, sure. Um, for buyers, especially if you're unfamiliar with a certain hamlet you're going to, uh, you can't, I would just say, go preview some homes, drive by them. Don't rely on GPS or having cell service. Um, you may find the wrong address. And, you know, it's just better to just know your course out here. Um, mm -hmm. If you're a little unfamiliar, because it, you can keep people waiting for an hour, you can get very lost out here. Um, on the seller side, <clears throat> I think it goes back to having a good, another good professional besides your real estate agent, a good attorney, and going through the process of making sure your house is ready to sell legally before doing it once you're in contract, installing everything and waiting. Especially coming into summer, people want to get in for summer. They don't want to wait for your CO update to take two months. So it's good to have your product that you're going to sell really ready to sell and not, you know, a couple months out after contract. So those local uh, intricacies, I would say, are important. Yeah, the nuances. That's what makes it hard. That's what makes you as an agent, uh, um, you know, be the, the right advisor to the client. That's what makes them refer you to friends and family. Good stuff, guys. Thank you for taking some time out of here. I'm going to let you guys go. We got James Key over here, the Atlantic team at Element. I got Cindy Schultz over at Compass. I have Lisa Masonette of Sotheby's International Realty and Daniel Gay, Sotheby's International Realty. Thank you so much of your time. I hope you guys learned something. I am Noah Rosenblatt. That's John Walker. We're both from Urban Digs, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.